Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning, Karen. Good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a wonderful day. I uh, have to say happy anniversary to my lovely bride uh, back on September 6th. And, uh, I don't know where I'd be without you. Uh, lost, I'm sure. What is the number, and Al? Can you share what? how many years you've been married? This will be our second now. So Your, your second year? Yeah, the first one was a really long one. <laughs> well, happy anniversary, Al. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> okay. I uh, also want to say thank you to everybody at the uh, farming of yesteryear in Keister, and everybody was on the Pelican Breeze. We had a full boat on Sunday, so it was great fun. And thanks. I uh, had a wonderful talk with Matt Hayes. What a, what a good fella, and he was at Farming of Yesteryear and is a KMSU listener, so I appreciate that very much. I remember Jimmy Buffett, I'm playing in a state softball tournament, and I can't get away as quick as all the other rascals could, so I had to drive up by myself, and we were playing at the Red Lake Indian Reservation because they'd put in new ball fields up there. And I had uh, one, uh, oh gosh, I don't know if it was a, it might even been a tape then, a cassette tape. It might have been a CD. But anyway, I listened to Jimmy Buffett all the way Aww. up there, over and over again, the same songs. And uh, and I, I had a really good tournament, and I think it was because of Jimmy Buffett's support. So oh, it's like meditation, it. kind of chilling out to the music as you were yeah, heading there. <laughs> it was, yeah, and you just... You get up there and you say, I wonder how many times I listened to that <laughs> album. Uh, a lot. Yeah. Um, my wife the other day had to, uh, she had to leave early because she was volunteering at the food shelf. And I had a Zoom meeting because I always have a Zoom meeting, it seems. It was a meeting of a board I serve on in Alaska. I'm the, where I am, the token Minnesotan. <laughs> and then I was going to a local in-person Audubon meeting locally here. And she sent me a text after she'd been gone for a while alerting me to a hummingbird trying to get into the garage. And the hummingbird had gone in and out of the garage before she could get the door closed, but she got him out and closed the door. And why did this tiny bird want into the garage? Was it hoping to find a 20, uh, 2010 Hummer parked there that it could drive away? No, it was attracted by the dangling red handle on the garage door pole which oh. if you have a good imagination, and I think a hummingbird does have a good imagination, resembles a hummingbird feeder. So it sees that thing hanging down and says, hot dog, there's, there's no other hummingbirds here to bug me. And then once inside the garage, it discovers, well, that's, there's no nectar there. <laughs> then it's going to fly away. And they fly up because hummingbirds don't understand a roof. And how do you evict a hummingbird from a garage? Well, you open the garage door first. That's very important. So it can fly out on its own and hope no other hummingbird flies in. And if it's slow in leaving, uh, place a hummingbird feeder or a red object near the open garage door to lure it outside. And some people will uh, either color that red handle or put some kind of covering over it to keep the hummingbirds from going in there. Well, oh, Al, before you go, I have a story about a bird in the church sure. this Sunday. So I went to church on Sunday, and I go early because I sing uh, with the band, 
And uh, people were running around all like crazy, screaming, there's a bird, there's a bird. And I said, oh, what a cute little bird, you know, and I started whistling at it. And they said, we got to get this out of here. It was a cute little sparrow that when uh, our our band director had opened the door, uh, it had flown in and it was flying around the church. And we don't have one of those really tall churches, so it wasn't like it was, you know, 25 feet up or anything. And they said, well, how do we get rid of it? And they looked at me and they said, well, how do you get rid of it? I go, well, and... I'm probably totally wrong, but I said, maybe if we turn all the lights off and open the door, then it will fly toward the light. Well, <laughs> they weren't sure about that. So they got a, I don't know, it was like a big piece of cloth or something and tried to wave it around. And finally they got it out. But is there anything that's more successful to get a sparrow out? And why would a sparrow come in? Because they're not attracted to the red, there was nothing. It was like, you know, it's a brown church, for example. So right. just wondering what your thoughts on that situation was. Sure, I think you did well. They they are attracted to buildings. Oh. Uh, my wife and I used to spend some time in the lower Rio Grande Valley in Texas, and we would go to the, I called it the Have Enough Bananas store. It's <laughs> H-E-B, a big grocery store, and as you might imagine, down in that part of Texas, the produce is just incredible, so you just go there and just eat fruit. And I would watch the house sparrows because they had that magic eye that opened the doors so when you walked up there it opened Mm. they would fly up and flutter in front of those doors and then the doors would open and in they come and of course they're going in a grocery store so they're going to find something to eat and you know probably even in a church they find something to eat they're just little uh, they're scroungers so they're finding things and they have discovered that there's food in there. I was in uh, Fleet Farm in Mankato the other day, and there were sparrows in there. I'm sure any Home Depot or oh. Menards or anything like that has a lot of house sparrows in there. They are aptly named, I guess we could call them building sparrows instead of house sparrows, because they, they find it intriguing and I, they find it purposeful, because they find things to eat in there, and sometimes, <laughs> not this time of year, they will even nest in there. Oh, well, you know, I have seen that at places like the, the Home Depot, Lowe's, Menards, and all those places. They've actually had nests, and I recall there when we had the Lowe's here, there used to be an owl nest out in their outer area that was sort of covered but not very well, and, and it was kind of a, an attraction for people to come and see the owls. Oh, that would have been neat. Yeah, no, I, pretty Pretty much all I see are house sparrows. There's other birds that get in there. Starlings are one yeah. that they like to get into buildings. They use them a lot for nesting. And uh, uh, pigeons are common pigeons. They like to get in buildings. But I don't think anything does it as well as house sparrows. Well, they how just... should I have gotten rid of them? I mean, I didn't know for sure. I just thought, I wish I had Albat. I could, you know, telepath my, my question to you. <laughs> but... What would be the best way to do that? Because they were in a panic because church was supposed to start in like a half an hour or something, and they wanted to get it out of there. Yeah, and I I think you did well. You just open up everything you can, and uh, if nothing else works, you kind of herd them towards that direction and hope they go out. And again, the problem is they can fly up, and so they'll get up higher and higher where we can't really uh, have any impact on what they're doing up there. But I think you did well. I mean, and should you were... chase them? Like somebody took a like a curtain, kind of a big cloth or something, and waved it. Is that? It's like herding cows. You know, you they see you and they kind of go the other way. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 
I don't know how much impact that has on them oh. uh, to chase them, but it certainly probably gets them to moving around a little bit, and maybe in their movement they say, where was that? Oh, here's the door. Because our cows would get out. They'd get yeah. out of the fences, and then they'd, I don't know if they didn't remember where they got out <laughs> at or to get back in, or they just didn't want to go back in. Right. So they'd run right by that opening, you know, yep. and I'd say, oh, boy, they just drive me crazy. I'm saying, I'm on, you know, I'm on the time clock here. I got to get things done, got to get going, and you're just, uh, you're ruining my life, you guys, by doing this. And, and there were times when we would actually have to get a tractor or something because, frankly, we couldn't run as fast <laughs> <laughs> as they right. could sometimes. Hey, you know, I do want to let you know, though, Al, that little bird left a little present for us. When the drummer sat Aww. down at his drum set, <laughs> he said, what is this? And, of course, they always call me, Karen, is this bird poop? But I said, yes, it is. Aww. And so, <laughs> so the bird nice. made his presence known in church. <laughs> An offering. Yeah, so, yes, a wonderful story. <laughs> anyway, there we go. Thank you, Al. Sure. I was thinking that yesterday that I have I didn't see many toadlets in my yard this year. I'm thinking it was probably because it was just so dry, my yard that they probably didn't uh, want to travel through here. Oh, and they're the, those tiny little guys. Some years I have so many of them I can't mow the lawn because I'm just afraid <laughs> that uh, I'll wipe out a population. And and they're so little, so you might expect they eat really tiny insects. And they have glands producing a poisonous secretion that helps a toad defend itself oh. against predators. And all toads are frogs, but not all frogs are toads. Wait a minute, all frogs are toads, or all all toads? All are toads are frogs. Oh, so but not all frogs are toads. Explain that to me, please. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, frogs. And toads, toads are really frogs. They're just a different uh, species of frogs, and then we call them toads. And they have, uh, what do we think of as uh, toads? They spend more time on dry land probably than, than frogs do. They have a, a bumpy exterior, and of course, uh, toads were the ones that were going to give us warts and everything, which is not true. Uh, frogs were the friendly ones that we'd pick up and carry around. So it's uh, they're just a different uh, species, but they're still, if you get right down to it, they are still frogs. Well, we have a whole bunch of them in the yard because in Mankato we've got that pond. And I have had so many tadpoles in there, and and so I've got I've got little uh, tree toads. I've got those other little toads you're talking about. I've got frogs, and I I guess if you have a source of water like that, you're going to get a lot. And and they're just so cute. Some of them are like not even bigger than my pinky fingernail. Yeah, and all our water has all dried up here in the woods. It's all gone. Oh. So there's just there's just powder out there for everything. So I'm putting out extra watering things for all the critters that they can come in and drink. The problem is deer come in and just suck it dry. It's just like the desert when they get done. They get every last drop. Oh, speaking of last drop, boy, I was walking around... Uh, I came across a spider web holding a few raindrops. We got, I think, 12 raindrops here one day. Oh. It was so beautiful. It could have been a construct of a highly skilled jeweler. It was just, it was amazingly good. And I just had to stop and marvel at that. I watched deer 
at the uh, Myrie Big Island State Park, and they're walking through the sucking mud, uh, leaving the ungulates black-legged after they came onto the shore after quenching their thirst. They had to walk through so much mud to get to the center of that pond because there's so little water. And I watched, there. it wasn't just them. Turkeys did that. Squirrels even did that, walked out there. Of course, they didn't fall through or sink into the mud like the... Uh, like the deer did, but it gets to be quite a thing for them just getting by when there's so little uh, little water. Can and they, as I drove... I was going to ask if they can get stuck in that mud, Al, because sometimes how you get in there and your boot comes off and you yeah. can't get it back, so do animals ever get stuck? I didn't see any boots on them, so I think they did <laughs> lose all their boots in the mud. I would think that maybe a little fawn could when they're really small sure. it might be possible but they're uh, they're a good size now and they it was i'm sure if i'd been a little closer i could have heard that sucking sound as they pulled their yeah. legs out of that it right uh i'd been around dusk after that i looked up and the sky was the sky was filled with common nighthawks and they have this bat-like flight earned the name the nickname bull bat and I saw a couple of bats hunting the twilight with the nighthawks. But these nighthawks have these tiny little bills, if you see one up close. But then they open their mouth, and it becomes commodious. It's, uh, they just fly along and they eat whatever's up there, ants, beetles, moths, true bugs, caddisflies, whatever they find. And I bet a lot of folks have seen the roadside pheasant survey numbers. Uh, each year the Minnesota DNR does this. And they said the survey showed an increase of 101% in the southwest region and 38% in the west central. And why is that? Well, there's two major influences on pheasant populations, weather and habitat. And weather causes annual fluctuations, and habitat drives long-term population trends. So these populations, the two that really went up, benefited from favorable weather in the southwest and west central. An area's increase in pheasant numbers doesn't continue without a corresponding increase in habitat. So there has to be some other things happening before they can. This year, uh, the statewide, there was 53 birds per 100 miles of roads driven compared to 48 in 2022 huh. so it's uh there's some out there but it's uh i guess anytime any of them go up if you like pheasants you probably um celebrate a little bit chad hines i heard from chad last wednesday he, uh chad does a lot of the hawk watch well, we only have two he does two that's a lot i think uh, he said we are well ahead of our annual average for this time. Uh, we eclipsed the 800 bird mark for the season with most individuals represented by turkey vultures. We've had osprey, broad-winged hawk, American kestrel, bald eagle, red-tailed hawk, and cooper's hawk. I heard again from him on Monday, he said much of the fall numbers have been driven by the observation of turkey vultures at Landum Memories. On Saturday, we counted uh, 203 turkey vultures. Bethany had 10 species and 183 birds, mixed kettles of sharp shin and cooper's hawks with bald eagles, sharp shins mixed with broad wings, and even our first larger kettle of broad hawks, 43. We are in the wing window 
when Broadwing should be passing through for the next couple of weeks. Saw our first Northern Harriers and Peregrine Falcon, as well as a dozen American Kestrels. Uh, Mary Gugas Bird of Freeborn saw a white kingbird at Myrie Big Island State Park. I saw it also. It's a leukistic eastern kingbird, so it has white where it should have dark colors. Uh, friend, uh, another friend, Gunnar Berg of Albert Lee, said there have been warblers at the water feature daily until yesterday, but the fat lady ain't sung yet. <laughs> One of my friends refers to it as the Berg Sanctuary. I rather like that. Birds aside, it's where I retreat from the news of war and wacko politics. Hmm. Uh, Orlin Goldman uh, lives by Rice Lake. If you drive down I-90, you'll see Rice Lake on your way to... Oh, wherever you're going, Sioux Falls, somewhere. Uh, 27 baby snapping turtles from one nest. A woman uh, that was on the Pelican Breeze showed me a photo of a beautiful albino young robin. had a beautiful red eye. Uh, Kevin Lynn sent a photo of a bald cardinal. And um, yeah, Kevin, I see them too. They kind of—I see that in blue jays and cardinals, and it gives them sort of a lizardy look. They used to say it was because of mites, but I think it happens all too often. I think it's just a, an odd molt that is primarily maybe affects those two species around here. So they they lose their. Uh, feathers on their head and it just takes a little longer than some of their body feathers to come back but it they look like a big bird with this little pinhead when this happens and as one who's been a pinhead i know how that feels so uh dean young a friend uh dean and i used to teach uh, writing classes together he's from wisconsin he said the birds are disappearing fast here. Had two weeks of nighthawks that are gone now. My grosbeaks, catbirds, brown thrashers, they're leaving. Haven't seen any hummers this week. Not sure if my tip mice will remain. Only a couple chickadees right now. At least the juncos haven't arrived yet. We always say winter is six weeks away when the juncos arrive. It's getting hard to afford the sunflower seed, but the birds are my friends, and I love to see them Keep from getting lonely. Had tons of different woodpeckers this year. They developed a taste for the hummingbird water. Had the birds eating from my hand this spring. So thanks, Dean. Great to hear from you. Glenda Bat, who is uh, my sister-in-law, she lives in Albert Lee. She asked when the hummingbirds will be leaving Minnesota. They migrate south as early as mid-August, with most of them leaving the state by the end of September. But that said... Uh, stragglers are found well into October. And last year I saw the last one. It was either October 29th or October 30th. Of the last two years, one year was October 29th and one was October 30th. I've got a uh, note here from Micah I wanted to read to you, Al. Sure. Uh, Micah, our friend, says, As the sun sets, I have swallows, hummingbirds, and dragonflies creating a spectacular aerial show. Some of the best flying creatures all at once, and then a smiley face. And then Micah says, wishing you and your loved ones much love, peace, health, and happiness. Laugh, love, and live daily, Micah. Thank you, Micah. Hey, thanks, Micah. Right back at you. So it's it's fun to see all those. I love when the ants swarm here because the common nighthawks, when they're coming through, and the swallows and the dragonflies just fill the air feeding on those ants. 
Uh, Ken Nelson of Clark's Grove asked, when barn swallows and house wrens leave? Uh, boy, barn swallows, that's everybody that had a barn at one time in their life, probably had barn swallows nesting in there, and they start gathering in groups in July. But their peak migration would have been last month. So August is when the bigger share of them leave. But not all, but the bigger share. They winter in Central and South America. Uh, House wrens, they become secretive and silent after nesting. They typically have two broods. They are secondary cavity nesters, and they leave this month. They leave in September for the southern U.S. or Mexico. But we don't know they're, well, now they say we don't know they're there. I'm watching one right out my window here <laughs> on a feeder trying to catch some insects, I suppose. They aren't singing, and that's where our most of our uh, gathering or having anything to do with a house wren is that song that just, uh, it we just hear it in our ears. I uh, remember working as a kid. I was trying to fix a, an Alice Chalmers WD-45, and I had a chain on it, and I'd hoisted part of the engine up. And the whole time I was doing that, a house wren sang, just constantly. And when I went to bed that night, I could hear that house wren still singing in my ears. It was just an amazing for such a little tiny thing. Uh, Hawk Ridge, they began their fall, what do they call it, fall 2023 migration count. I think that might be it. And that began on August 15th, and they had had some uh, birds, a a total of 841 raptors. It seems like a lot. They had 11 species of them. The most abundant raptor was a bald eagle. So out of 847, 427 were bald eagles. Broadwing hawk had 111, and American kestrels, 113. They had a series of days with less than favorable weather conditions, uh, and that would be specifically wind direction, and that's why you get lower totals. Uh, They said notably lower than average August totals by species include sharp-chin hawks, and red-tail hawks. So those are a couple that they just expected to have seen a lot more. I I don't don't see a name on this, but just got something from a listener said, I picked up some acorns, and there's little tiny holes in them. What's, What's going on there? Why are there tiny holes in acorns? Well, it's because uh, acorns are tiny. If the holes were big, there'd be no acorns <laughs> left. We wouldn't even notice it. We'd say, well, yeah. uh, acorn weevils, they chew a small hole in the acorn while it's attached to the tree. Then they lay an egg in the hole, and then they plug it to camouflage their activity. And after the eggs hatch, the larvae feed on the inside of the acorn, which can make the acorn non-viable. And when the acorn falls falls to the ground, the weevil larvae chew their way out, and they create this perfectly round, tiny hole, and then they burrow into the soil to spend the winter underground. And the reason uh, we will find a lot of uh, holy acorns under trees is because the squirrels leave them behind. 
because uh, I'm sure they can just pick them up, or maybe they see that hole and they say, "Well, there's nothing, nothing for me to eat there." So they will just drop them and go on and try to find another one. So that's why we find a lot of them with that tiny little hole in there. Are, are those little holes? I mean, that they make are the, those harmful? Can they eventually kill the trees or anything, or is it just more of a nuisance? I don't think it has uh, much impact on the tree other than eliminating some of the little trees that might sprout. But uh, it sounds like uh, folks that have a lot of acorns or oak trees are having a lot of acorns this year from people that have gotten a hold of me. But I know when I say that, <coughs> there'll be <coughs> there'll be somebody that isn't getting many because uh, everything is local. Tip O'Neill said all politics is local and I think all acorns uh, is local also. They just, uh, some years we get so many of them and then the next year and we've talked about that somewhere Ma Tree, she'll just produce a huge crop and then say oof, I need to rest and maybe you'll skip a year. And there's probably a reason there. They want to overwhelm predators put out so many acorns that there's no way predators can eat them all, and then maybe you put out very few acorns to try to uh, eliminate some of the predators if there's not to eat. So there's all kinds of thought given to that, why they do that. But a lot of folks will refer to a huge year as a mast year, M-A-S-T, like you're on a sail or mm-hmm. sailboat or sailing ship. So it's an interesting time to get out there. I, I love acorns. You know, when I was a kid, I'd toss them up in the air and hit them with a, a broom <laughs> handle. for hit base. I thought it was baseball practice. You or know, like you don't, your version of hacky sack, perhaps. I, I guess it was. I'd toss them up in the air and swing, and I found out I was a lot better pitcher than I was a hitter because I'd strike out pretty regularly. They were a little hard to hit, those little buggers, but it was so much fun. And then we would throw corn cobs, and we'd pitch them to one another, and then you'd hit the corn cob with a, and a handle of some kind. And if uh, over half the corn got behind one line, it was a single and double oh. and triple and home run, and we could we could play for hours just hitting corn cobs around. So it didn't uh, we didn't uh, have a ball field there, but we I guess we did because we drew lines and it, that made it a ball field. So hey, Al, I've got a a, yeah. a text from our friend Jennifer. And she says, hello, ma'am. I missed the show last week. I hope that you guys didn't think something untoward happened to me. Well, (laughs) we didn't. We're glad you're back. Uh, Please ask the bird guy about hybrids. I know that some animals of different species will breed, like horses and donkeys, to make mules. But do any birds ever get frisky with members of another species and make a hybrid? (laughs) Thank you, Jennifer. Hey, Jennifer, uh, yeah, we're glad you're doing well and back. That does happen in birds, not in all bird species. There's a golden-winged and a blue-winged warbler that they will uh, they will hybridize. So a lot of the waterfowl will hybridize, so there are all kinds. And now that they're able to do so much with DNA studying, they're finding more, and I'm sure they'll find more yet that do actually hybridize. And they do create, uh, I've looked at some ducks on the water thinking, what in the world kind of a duck is that? And it's usually a teal crossed with something. 
and some of the warblers too. There's Brewster's warblers that come out, and Lawrence's warblers, and they're both hybrids. So it's it's pretty cool because you get to see these different colors and different birds than you've seen before. Uh, some of them are capable of producing offspring. I'm guessing quite a few of them, or at least some of them are not. So we do see a lot. And it's just like if we have a bunch of ducks or chickens in the yard. I raise chickens, and I'd get Murray McMurray exotic mix, and my mom would get hers from Welt Hatchery in Bancroft, Iowa. But they uh, they hung out together and we would get some really interesting chickens that would be produced from those. And people would come out and say, what kind of chicken is that? And I said, well, you know, you can have naming rights. Just take a guess. We have no idea what kind of chicken that is. But it was pretty cool to see them. So thank you, Jennifer. And thanks, everybody, for sitting on the front porch with us. You know, Purple Cow is a poem written by Gillette Burgess in 1895, and I bet a lot of you know what he wrote. I never saw a purple cow. I never hoped to see one, but I can tell you anyhow, I'd rather see than be one. I put a weather rock in my yard. It's a dependable forecaster. If the rock is wet, it's raining. If the rock is flying, the wind is blowing. If the rock casts a shadow, the sun is shining. If the rock is difficult to see, it's foggy. If the rock is white, it's snowing. In efforts to move Minneapolis and St. Paul to Austin and Elbert Lee have stalled. It had been wonderful for the people living in Austin and Elbert Lee. If they wanted to go to the Twin Cities, they could just stay home. Those three things are all some goofiness, and I enjoy goofiness, but I want to end with a truth, a truthism, if you will. All goofiness aside, here's that truth. How can you tell if an extended car warranty, if it's an extended car warranty scam? I'll try that again. How can you tell if it's an extended car warranty scam? If your phone rings, it is. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, I uh, get out there and do something wild today. Get out and look at a bird. I hope you have your greatest day ever. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful company. It's, it's special. I appreciate it, and we appreciate our listeners, too. So thanks for that, Al, and we will chat with you next week. Thanks. 